we've been calling the language of, of faith. Gotta love it because when you pause for a second, you're oh my gosh, it's like yes, people are catching up, and you gotta fill everyone in on the details of what you missed this last week. All right, so we are in our series, we're calling the language of faith. We're, we're actually uh, coming to the end of this. What uh, we did as elders, uh, normally we work through books of the Bible if, you, uh, if you're just joining us in the last month or two, and uh, we just like we like taking a book and then kind of doing a deep dive, like preaching through the book. But this has been such a uh, a kind of a wild season for the church where uh, we, just probably like the churches you came from if you're a military family, we got done praying out just countless people. It was a very tough season. We, it seems like every three years uh, about we go through, you know, some assignment cycles don't hit us really bad. It seems like every three to four years we get punched in the face where it lines up where our, our whole church seems like it gets orders. And we just went through that. So and we, you look around the room, we have a lot of new faces with us, so we're glad you're here. And we got families coming in from all over, uh, all over the world. So this is uh, phenomenal. So what we decided to do is to go into a series of preaching through a book. There's nothing worse than showing up to a church and then you like you jump in the middle of Acts or something. You're like, well, I missed all the front part of Acts. And then sometimes Scripture gets kind of long, right? Where it's you know there's all these assumptions. So we said, hey, what if we did a series talking about uh, words we use in Christian context, but the Bible has a much deeper meaning. Right? So they're just words that are in our vernacular as Christians. You get saved and you start hanging out with church people and you hear this language they use. And then we put all of our assumptions into it. I'm sorry, I use this example, but it's a great example. I like the word hot because I think this is, I mean, it's old now. It's, it's 20 years old. But my grandfather was a World War II vet and he, I mean, he's, he's long since passed away. But if I had told him, Grandpa, my wife is hot. His assumption would be is my wife had a fever, right? He's like, well, get her in here, you know, let's, let's you know, put her under the fan or something like that. And, had, and now we all know what I am describing now, right? I think my wife is attractive. And Christian words begin to take on life of their own, right? And then what it means that we get away from the biblical meaning. So all that to say that's a very long preamble to a word today, which I don't think you or I misunderstand, but I, I want to get into the word work, meaning your job, what you do, right? Not works as in salvation or trying to earn it. I want to talk about what you do for a living, right? I want to talk about what you do when you're not sitting on the couch watching Netflix. That's what we want to get into. What does the Bible have to say about this? When when we read this, what is the assumption? So let's pray. Let's dive into this. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we we ask for your mercy and grace upon us today. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is saying to the church? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me again to overflowing, that it won't be me that speaks, but it will be you. Lord God, I rely on you. Lord, if I'm wrong or I err in any area, Lord, would you just close that off to the ears? Father God, let what is true remain that we can grow. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so work doesn't seem like an, a super exciting topic, but if you think of this, is that you and I, most of us here, will spend over a third of our life working, and this is the assumption that you work eight hours a day. Now, Jackie reminded me this morning, what's the other eight hours you're going to spend doing? Sleeping, right? So then we have about eight hours for yourself. Now, if you are a Marine or you're in the service, you probably don't work eight hours a day. You work closer to 10 or 12 hours a day, right? And you spend four hours sleeping, right? So we all we make this jump. But let's just assume that we live in a perfectly, or if you're a mother, God forbid, especially when, you're, when your kids 
Say again. God forbid your mother. I was thinking as far as sleep goes. God forbid. Why do you gotta call me? This is the third time she's. My wife has been here three times already, and it's not even time third. Okay. My point is, is motherhood is you know once a child comes into your home, is now that work cycle is actually 24 hours a day, right? And sometimes you get lucky, you get a couple hour nap, and if you have a good husband, he'll wake up. You know, and help out and all these kind of things. Okay. But my point is, is that most of our lives are going to be spent working. And so do we think that the Bible would actually have something to say about this? Like, what does God say about my profession? What does he say about when I work? So that's what we want to get into. And if we go back to the very beginning, it's always good if you have an idea to trace it back to Genesis. But what's the first thing before God? So God makes man. What's the first thing God gives man? A job. A job. The woman doesn't come yet, right? The first thing he, he, he gives Adam a job. In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Right? So God makes man, and he puts him in the garden, gives him a job. Right? So one of the age-old questions is, what are we here for? Why am I created? Now, you may not like this answer, because I think this is it's like a diamond. I think there's a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons we are here is to work. Now, don't assume I'm going to give you this pro-capitalism, this is going to be, you should get out there and hustle. This is not this kind of message. I'm talking about what we're designed to do. We're not designed to lay around all day. Right? God did not make us. Like this idea of going to heaven and laying on a cloud and playing a harp all day, that's not heaven. I got bad news for you. Heaven will be working. We'll have jobs, the Bible says. Right? And so part of our DNA, part of our original design is to work. Now, that's not only that. We're not beasts of burden, right? The Bible is going to differentiate things that were created only to work. But you, you know the punchline. That's not our only reason to exist. But it is part of our a reason. And I've recently had a personal experience with this. Uh, you guys remember, uh, of course you remember, uh, when COVID came around. I'm acting like I'm preaching in 30 years from now. Some people might not remember COVID. So COVID hits, and then it's the two weeks to slow, right? You remember all the things. So you kind of pause for me, like, well, this is weird. And then two weeks goes to four weeks, and school starts canceling. And all these things start happening. And if, so my day job, I'm a lay elder, right? So I, I don't get paid. Uh, uh, I'm, on, I'm not on staff, right? But I, I've been an elder here for a long time. So I have a day job, if you didn't know. And my day job is I travel for a living. I, I cover parts of China, uh, North America, parts of South America. And I spend 150 to 200 days a year gone from my family in hotel rooms. Pretty lame. So to me, this was awesome. Like I haven't, I haven't spent this much time at home in our, in our married life, and so it was wonderful. But I started to watch life de- like really hurt my kids, especially my daughter who's not here today. And she was a junior in high school when this thing kicked off, and so she was the president of the drama club, all the acting, and that goes away. And she starts going into like a mild funk. You're watching this because she's separated from her friends, and her friends are hyper scared. Not healthy, scared, like, hey, we should respect this, follow the rules. I'm talking, like, so they're feeling her, like, she's just exacerbated. Like, you know, we go to the store, it's a crisis. And she's just really starting to go off the deep end. Like, like now it's going into depression. Now we're trying to find counselors. We talk, she started talking to ladies in church and really started going down a bad path, right? Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what do we do about this? And we're praying and praying. And she's talking to a counselor. And I, I don't know what to do. So finally, you know, now we're into this, like, we've been... COVID for a year, it's like, okay, we've got to start doing something. So my daughter got a job at the Ross, 
about a week and a half, like all these symptoms start depression starts to move. She's having a human interaction, and she has purpose in her life. And she starts doing a good job, and then she gets promoted to the floral department. And she's talking about work, and her whole demeanor picked up by going to work. Amen. And I was like, man. Now, a big part of that is human interaction. I don't want to say it's just because sometimes work pieces down. But we see this when we are doing nothing without a purpose. The natural default is to go get depressed, is to go down, right? And so part of work's design is to give us purpose. And we get told all these ideas that this purpose has to be grand, you need to be rich, you need to be famous. But like when Pastor Trace talked about the spiritual gifts, like we all can't be eyes, we all can't be hands, we all can't be feet. The songs have to be knees. Like if we don't have people, like my daughter, like making flowers at the Ralphs, that serves a purpose. I bought, I don't know if you guys have ever bought the flowers, but they're very nice. But I, I buy lots of new flowers from the Ralphs. That serves a purpose and a great purpose. It's a great blessing to to bless somebody with flowers, that's somebody who cares for them. It's a blessing to go there and somebody actually makes a good sandwich. I'm, I'm not trying to be cute or trite, right? But people that take pride in their work. And we need that in society. So anyways, this is part of our original design. In John 5, 16 and 17, Jesus is speaking. He says, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing the things on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, if you're not familiar, you're not supposed to work. That's, that's the day of rest. He goes, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. So we see here that the Bible paints this picture that, that God is working, Jesus is working. Everybody is continuing to work, right? And even though Jesus went, and you hear this language in the Bible, that Jesus is seated in the heavens. This idea that Jesus is perpetually now at rest because his job is done. It, it's true, but it's not true, right? That God is always at work. And Jesus said, he goes, he's working even till now. Obviously, this gets much deeper with Jesus and the Father being one. But you get the idea. So, for time's sake here, I, I like the idea of big topics, big subjects, and we can break it down. So, bear with me. I didn't put them up on the screen. But here's how I think a Christian should think about work. You ready? Is the first would be is you have a new employer. Once you're a Christian, you have a new employer. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. The Bible paints this picture now that once you belong to him, is every activity, you notice it says, whatever you do, it says work heartily, work with your heart, work hard with all your heart, whatever you do. Do you make sandwiches? Work hard with all your heart. Do you sell vacuum cleaners? Sell vacuum cleaners. Work hard at it with all your heart. Do you serve in the church? Serve. Work hard. Take pride in your work. Whatever you do. Are you raising your children? Are you cleaning your house? Right? Are you mowing your grass? Whatever you do, work hard as for the Lord and not for men. So this idea that we have a new employer. Now, the Bible, if you go, if you back up, it's not on the screen, but if you go back two verses, he says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. If we stop there, the ESV is very nice. It gives us the word bond servants. But you know what the King James actually says? It says slaves. It says slaves, obey everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, the Bible gets a bad rap sometimes because if you are an unbeliever and you pick up the Bible and you see that slaves obey your masters, Whoa, what's the first thing you're going to do? I'm going to close this. I'm going to give this back to you. I'm going to walk away. 
But if we marry it to what it follows, he's painting an example. What in the Old Testament, what's the actually in life, what's the worst job you could have? A slave. That's exactly right. And he says, Look, you know why you obey your masters? So here's what it says. He says, not by eye service as a people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. He's saying, it's like, look, even if you have the worst job on the entire planet, he goes, do your job well because now you work for the Lord. Amen? Amen. He's painting an extreme example, right? Like, what's the one area that, if you're a slave, you just have to do it. You don't get a choice. It's like being a Marine, right? I imagine. I wasn't a Marine, but I imagine, especially the first year or two of your life, you don't have a lot of choices, right? In the Air Force, we used to call it being a voluntold, right? volunteer for something, you volunteer. Hey, we need a volunteer to do this. Young, you're up. <laughs> right? So, all these things, you don't get choices. It says, look, this is how extreme Christianity is. Even if you're a slave, you're going to obey the master, you're going to do it with a sincere heart. Because you're not serving that master. You're serving the Lord. You're work. So now, we, we go to our lives. Like, how many of us just don't do a good job because you don't like your boss, or you don't like your company, or you don't like what you do? The Bible says that is not an excuse for not doing a good job. The expression is called phoning it in. Do you guys still use that word? Like, hey, this guy phoned it in. That means it. Did a half job. Like, that is not an option if you're a Christian. Well, it is an option. It's the wrong option. It's always a choice. You always have a choice. That's the wrong choice. For so when Christians talk about work, we should be working heartily as an employee because you have a new boss. Your work will be judged by him. If you're a, we call it being a time thief. You punch into work, and you sit at your desk for two hours surfing the internet? I mean, that's, that's a lack of integrity, right? Like, there's all these problems. I know this is, gonna, this is a very natural message today. There's not a lot of spiritual things about this. But most of us wrong God in this Because the Bible says you're not working for that person. You're working for him. Oh, I take for my company because they, they, they rip off people all the time. Man, if, if you have that much of a problem with it, quit your job and go find somewhere else to work. If you have that much of an integrity problem, Bible says, whatever you do, work hard. I know this is tough. Some people, some of you, maybe most of all of you work hard, but some people don't. You've got to take this to heart. Amen? Amen? It says, because knowing that you work for the Lord is tough. Okay, the next thing. You must work. Here's the next thing you must know. Christians don't work. They shouldn't be in the same set. It's the idea. When I say work, I'm not saying that you have a 9 to 5 job, but lazy Christians, right? People that don't do anything. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-12 says this. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were uh, among you, I'm sorry, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I'm going to keep reading. That's harsh, is it not? That is really harsh. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we commend and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Wow. So, again, it's one of these weird things that if, if 
if you don't spend a lot of time reading the Bible, or sometimes we just blow over these things, right? Like, I don't know, I, my wife and I, we were, we're big readers in our house. And if you just start stacking up books, sometimes you'll, like, read a whole paragraph and realize you haven't read anything. That's kind of boring, it's giving details. And the idea that the Bible holds the standard for work for this high. Because Paul, on one hand, will say, it's like, if, if your neighbor's hungry, feed them, right? If they're naked, clothe them, right? Like, this is Christian love and expression. And then he paused and said, hey, hang on. But if there's Christians and they're not working, don't feed them. He even says at the beginning, we command you, brothers, he goes, keep away from brothers who are walking in idleness. Like people that are just being lazy, taking handouts, that are in the church. Now I'm not talking about people that are, you know, that can't. I'm talking about people, able-bodied, able-minded people that can do these things. Okay, Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The point of actually getting paid for your work, the Bible says, is to share. Right? The Bible says, trust the Lord, he meets your needs. We work to help you know the right? So of course, our own labor pays our bills too. But the idea that when we work is to help meet other people's needs. But it goes back to this idea, the big, the big topic is we must work. We should be doing something with our hands. Now, this doesn't mean you have to get paid for your work. Right? Some of you are in a good situation where one person is a breadwinner and the other spouse can stay at home, maybe raise the kids or they can homeschool. It's not all these things that you have to make money when you do, but you should be contributing through your work and not being lazy. Amen? Oh, I'm too old. This, this reference will be lost. Did anyone watch Married with Children? Okay, five people. Peg Bundy, I always think about that. Al's at work selling shoes and his wife's at home eating bonbons like that. It's, okay. it's just unequitable when one, when one party isn't working. And I'm not saying making money, I'm saying working, right? And actually one of the most tragic things is when you have a, a wife that works really hard and you have a lazy husband not doing anything. That, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that, but that's a wild counseling session. Okay, 1 Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith. Look at that. How do you deny the faith? You don't provide for your family. And it says he is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? Again, the Bible's going hard after people that don't work. And so when Christians talk about work, so why are we talking about this now on a Sunday morning? And it's like, why is this the language of faith? Because I told you up front is I have a day job, I have a secular job. And some of the laziest, worst workers I know are Christians. It seems to me the most vocal Christians are also the worst workers. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say Christians because I know some Christians that just crush it and get after it and they're working hard and they get promoted and they're highly valued in the organization. From my experience, the loudest Christians are always the worst employees. And I don't know if you guys have that same experience. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just a terrible human and I'm drawing the wrong people when I'm at work. But I've been out there for, for decades. And it, it hurts my heart that the Christians are always the ones being the weirdos. And our work, we're going to get into this, but it's a reflection of Christ. Mm-hmm. right? It's Christ in us. Do you think Jesus, when he was making chairs, he was a lazy man? No. Right? You guys seen the big Lebowski? The dude was most definitely a lazy man, right? Yeah. Uh, dated references, I apologize. <laughs> but the idea that Jesus was shirking his duties, it just doesn't compute, right? It says Paul was making tents. He says in that... In that chapter in Thessalonians, he said, look, we work with our hands. Paul had a job. He made tents, right? He's like, look, I know I can take money from the churches. I can take up an offering. 
He goes, I know I'm allowed to do that. The Bible says that. He goes, but to set the example, I wanted to show you guys what being a Christian is all about. He says, I worked night and day to pay for my own life. That's awesome, right? Because he's like, look, I need to set the example. So now we have the example set. And it would break my heart, you know, if we go back in time. And we know it's not true, but imagine Jesus just being an extremely lazy person that way. It's like, it doesn't compute. So if we're to be imitators of God, what does that say about what we should look like, right? Are you starting to see the picture? Okay, so let's talk about laziness. Laziness, the Bible says it'll ruin your life, right? Like the sure path to destruction is laziness. Laziness. Proverbs 10.4 says this, a slack hand or laziness causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, some people like to exploit the Bible, like, hey, the Bible will make you rich. We're staying away from it, right? Because it gets into nonsense. But the Bible does give us practical advice that laziness causes poverty. This is true. Unless you come from money, your parents had a lot of money, and you can just live however you want. You know, most of us have to go out there and earn our place. And it says, the diligent hand is made rich. So if you really want a key to getting a hand in life, is learn to work hard. Do it heartily as in the Lord. Because the Bible says he is the rewarder. We don't, the Bible says don't do it as, as being a men pleaser, When we work hard, uh, I don't have it up on the screen, but the song says promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, but it comes from the Lord. Placing our life into his hands. Working hard is not to get ahead. I'm not working hard to get promoted. I'm not working hard to make more money. These are all great things. I'm working hard because I'm working for the Lord. And then watch God's hand open up on these things. Right? That you're doing things for the right reason. That makes sense? That's why it says the diligent hand will be made rich. Right? If you were like, oh, this is a get rich quick scheme, I can trick God into making me rich. I'm going to work really hard. God, you have to make me rich. Have fun, you're probably not going to get rich. Right? All those people, God makes me rich. That's not going to happen. But let me just give you a truism the Bible teaches us. You're working for the Lord, you work hard. Right? Emotion comes from Him. Uh, Proverbs 14.23, I have this in the NIV up on the screen, it says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. So the one problem with the lazy person is, is sometimes we can hide behind our words. Like, you know, some people always seem like they got stuff going on. That's the only thing Paul called it being a busybody. Oh, I got this. I'm doing this. I got this. It's like, man, that's all nonsense. You're not doing anything. It's all talk. It's all hot air. Right? That leads to poverty. If you're a young young person in the, in the room now, I, I wish you could, I, I could spend more time with you and just give you my, just my own thoughts on life, uh, on how it worked out for me, because doing the work actually is the surefire way to get ahead. I got out of the Air Force. I didn't have a college degree. I had to finish it. I dropped out of college. Uh, I was almost there. I needed like a year and a half. But I really thought, I was like, man, I'm a tither, I'm a giver. God loves me. I was like, I'm just going to get ahead. I've told you a thousand times, I'm the eternal optimist. So I get out of the Air Force. I'm in San Diego. And the first three years out of the military, totally sucked. We were totally broke. It was getting worse. was not getting better. Right? It's very expensive, especially without a college degree and without really a marketable skill. I don't know about you, but F-16 crew chiefs, not high demand in San Diego County, it's really uh, So I'm trying to sell business loan, I'm trying to do whatever it takes. You know, finally get a job. 
And I remember one time, like, same thing. I'm just like, believing, like, God, you're going to bless me. And the blessings just never came. And then one day I had this epiphany. What if I just did the work? What if I just went back to college? What if I got off my butt? Instead of sitting on my couch waiting for God to bless me, what if I just did what the Bible says, the hard work, the God blesses the work? Went back to college, went to grad school, and every year my pay just starts climbing and climbing and climbing. I said, I was able to buy a house, we're out of debt. And this isn't like, oh, life is awesome. You know what I did? I just did the work. Instead of sitting around praying that it would happen for me, I went to work. So, what's my advice if you're young? Because uh, I have two young kids that are both in college. And they're like, oh, I, you know, I hear we don't need college. I hear we don't need this. Just do the work. Right? It's not a bad thing to go to school. Right? If some careers don't, like if you get a, if you want to be a mechanic, yeah, there's some things you go to trade schools. But this idea that you can just make it, you know, just streaming videos from else, yeah, that'll work for some of us. But most of us, don't be afraid to do it. I wish I had done it sooner. Okay. Proverbs 6, 10, 11. This is one of the most famous Bible scriptures, I, I think, that are out there. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Some people are lazy just because they love rest too much. Right? You just don't want to get off the couch. You, you can't find the motivation to go and do something. This doesn't mean you don't have a job. It doesn't mean you're not taking care of your house. It's you just a lazy person. And only you can evaluate that. Right? And COVID, uh, my wife and I talked, it's like, man, I wish we could go back in time. We had all this free time. Why was I working out or learning a new language or doing something? I laid on the couch, gained weight and ate and lost hair. And, uh, I, I think that came naturally. But a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and here comes poverty. Some people wonder why they just don't get ahead in life. You know, sitting around complaining and cursing your situation will never get you ahead. Amen. And if you're a Christian, that's the wrong way to approach it. And this is tough to hear, but God doesn't owe us any favors, and the world doesn't owe us any favors. Nobody owes it. People have it so much worse than We have running clean water. We have bathrooms. We have opportunity. You may have had a terrible up. you like, oh, you don't know what my parents did. Man, I don't know what your parents did. But we've all got our sad stories. We all have our hurdles overcome. And some people, yes, have the, the proverbial silver spoon. But the Bible says that when we compare ourselves with others, that's the thief of joy. When we compare, it's like, oh, so-and-so had this given to them. That's not you. Right? It doesn't matter. Who cares that that person had a million dollars? Who cares that person got into an Ivy League school? Oh, they only have this. They only have this because he's a, he's a white male. Right? You hear all these things. And it may be true. But that doesn't help us, right? We work as unto the Lord. Remember, the Lord, the Bible says, he opens doors that no man can close. Right? He shuts doors. He opens doors. He promotes people. He puts people down. So our job then is, is not to, to compare all these things. Oh, my boss is terrible complaining about people, all these things. What if we start praying? What if we start being, doing, being diligent, working quietly and working hard and letting the Lord fight for us? Amen? Amen? Okay, next up, we're cruising here. Commitments, so work and commitments. So one of the problems is, is because we spend so much time at work is we don't know what to do with other commitments, right? Because you may have a day job, but when you get home, you also have a job, right? Like if you're a husband and you work all day, 
Like, I kind of knew some parts of being at home, a job, right? I've got to help my wife in the house. Uh, they call it honeydew, and I've got things to do. It is a job. If you're a dad, you need to spend time with your kids. You know, some kids don't want to hear this, but there's no, the last one's late. Oh, we got a couple. Uh, but sometimes you know mom and dad get home from work, and they don't want to go to the park. Imagine that. And after working all day, going to the park and watching the kids play on the swing set. And it's not work, but it is work, right? Because that's the right thing to do, right? I'm putting aside what I, I want to relax for a few minutes, but I need to go do these things. So commitments, Matthew 5.37 says this, let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So some of us take on too much, right? So now we're going to go to the opposite side is you're not lazy. You just take on too much. You have no free time. And you say yes so much is that you start missing these things you've said yes to. People are relying on you. That's not good. You need to learn to say no. If you can't do something, one of the toughest things Christians have a hard time doing is saying no. If you can't or don't want to, just tell that person no. Guys, I'm not going to do this. can't do this. It is liberating. Talk to Stuart Massey. Guy tells me no on everything. <laughs> and he, hopefully he doesn't do it because he doesn't like me. But actually, we've had this discussion. He's like, man, between my work and raising my daughter, spending time with my wife, I just I can't do this right now. And he'll say that. And I appreciate that because not once has Stuart ever said yes and not been there for me. Because when he does say yes, his yes means yes. Right? And I think most Christians don't come from a bad spot. I don't think we say yes and say no to hurt people or we're lazy. We overcommit. Right? It's like, oh, yeah, you want me to do that? No, put me, back. put me down for it. And then you don't write it down. And then you get that call on October 3rd. Hey, you said you don't serve burritos here at the church. Where are you? Yeah. A space did I forgot. But you know be knowing your yes be yes. You can't commit. Just be honest. Don't want to do it? Be honest. Right? The Bible says anything more than that is evil. Okay. So that's how a Christian should work. When you're at work, don't commit to things you can't do. Okay, the next one is we should work spirit-empowered. This idea that is all you that's going to to make all these things happen is also ridiculous. The Bible is very clear that the Spirit enables us to do things that pleases God, right? On, on, in and of ourselves, we can't please Him, right? So we have to find a way to make us work in line with the Spirit. And there's two great examples. I'm going to give, just give you one up on the screen, but Daniel. Is, you guys know Daniel from the Bible? Daniel's famous for what? <laughs> the lion's den, yeah. But most people don't talk about the fact that Daniel was in slavery. His whole nation was enslaved. He was, he was in Babylon, and uh, he was working for the king there. But it says this in Daniel 6.3. It says, then this, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, in the Old Testament, there's another guy named Joseph who was also a slave in Egypt. Genesis, uh, it's not on the screen, but Genesis 41, it says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only in regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So we see here two men that God's spirit is in them. It's called an excellent spirit. And even in their low-like status, they rise to the very top. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. This excellent spirit, friends, that was in Daniel is also in you. And it's hard to imagine, right, that God has gifted and blessed each one of us with this Holy Spirit. The Bible says it's a guarantee of our salvation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So how many of you start your day out praying for the work you're about to do? How do we live a Spirit-filled life? How do we Spirit-empower our work? On your way to work, ask God to use you or help you be diligent. This doesn't mean you work yourself to an early grave. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You know, there's a reason why we put breaks in our schedule. This doesn't mean you have eight hours of running as hard as you can. The law requires that you take a break. And, and being smart about it, right? You don't work like you don't work so hard Monday and Tuesday that you can't get out of bed on Wednesday. That's done. Right? Just be doing it. It doesn't mean you're not talking to your coworkers and being friendly. It doesn't mean you take a water break or your lunch break. Ask the Lord. It's like, Lord, how do I be faithful in this job to serve unto you? How do I do this? Help me do a better job. Help me find favor. Have you ever prayed for favor with your boss? And not for selfish ambition to get ahead, right? Just favor, like with a human being. I work for a human being, and I, I here's my plan. Lord, help me get done what my boss needs done for his boss. Right? Because we know we all have this hierarchy. It's food chain. I'm serving that man. I work for a human being. Lord, help me make his life easier. I pray, Lord, help him not even have to worry about what my family is doing. I'm so on top of my job, he just knows I'm taking care of it. I'm not after his job, because I do believe that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west, it comes from the Lord. That's the right time, right? Doesn't mean I won't interview, doesn't mean I'm not trying to better myself. But when I show up on Monday morning, my job is like, what can I do to get myself promoted and take my boss's job? It should be, Lord, how do I better serve you in this capacity? How do I better serve the men and the women that I work for? Praying all these things. Okay, you get the idea. Uh, I should also mention, if you are a homemaker or you're homeschooling your kids, I'm sure if you homeschool your kids, you spend a lot of time in prayer. Uh, we just couldn't do it, my wife and I. We'd love to do it. We just not cut out that way. But praying to be an effective teacher, being praying to effectively keep a house. If you're looking for a job, how about you spirit power, like praying to find a job. You know, praying that you'll go to an employer that you can actually serve. Looking at life now, what can I get out of it, but what can I pull into it? Right? Have you ever heard people say that, man, I have two opportunities, and I might actually take the lesson one because I feel the Lord leading me in this direction. I know it's rare, but that happens sometimes, right? That's why I feel this is what I'm leading. But you should also talk to me about it because there, you shouldn't be silly. You shouldn't pass up a $150,000 job to take a $20,000. My opinion. Okay, next one. Work is your witness. We're almost done here. Your work is a form of witness. In 1 Peter 2.12 it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now here in context, this is talking about feeding, clothing, helping, and just doing good works. But like I, I've told you, is some of the biggest objections I have to Christianity in the workplace when I have spiritual conversations is the dumb thing that the Christians have done at work. Right, so I, the president of my company, he's not a Christian. He's actually kind of hostile to Christians. And him and I get along. I've been to his house. He lives in uh, uh, Cleveland. I've gone to his house. I know his wife. Like we've, we've traveled all over the world together. Like We have a great relationship. And the few conversations we've had about Christianity, he's always bringing up what just complete knucklehead Christians do. That's his argument against the faith. Well, if, there, if, the, if this really worked, these guys wouldn't be so stupid. I, I mean, it sounds silly, but that's his argument. How do you argue against him? Like, yeah, that guy is stupid. You can't say that because I'm a Christian. It's like you don't tear other people down. James says that fresh water and salt water don't come out of the same mouth. I was like, I don't know that. Well, the Bible says that. 
Bible doesn't really say that's how you should behave. Then he says, well, is that guy not a real Christian? You get it, you see what happens, you get in all these abstract things. And he's a very smart debater because he makes your argument about the knucklehead and not Jesus, right? Jesus is easy to defend, knuckleheads are not. Okay. But the point is, like, does your work testify that you are working for God? Or does it testify that you just don't care? Right? Are people using you as an example of why they shouldn't examine the faith? Or are you an example of, boy, that person has a work ethic. That's a, that's, that's a put-together person, house, work, whatever, whatever that is. It all looks different, right? When I say these things, uh, I, I should put this caveat up front. When the Bible says work heartily as unto the Lord, it's not saying that you're perfect. It's not saying when I say keep a house, that this is so tidy and immaculate is not a speck of dust. That's not what he's saying. That you guys, hopefully, you're picking up on that. Right? It's not perfection that God's after. None of us are perfect, but it's the heart and it's the effort that goes into it. Amen? Amen. Proverbs 18:9 says, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. So if you have a job and you are slack and you're lazy and you're not taking pride in it, there's no excellent spirit into this. It says you're a brother to him who destroys. So how is this a witness? If you're lazy, you're fighting for the wrong team. You're not partnered with, you're not a brother of him who's moving life down the field. You're a brother to him who destroys. So how is the world viewing you? It's like, you're a destroyer. You're ruining this organization. Right? Like, you're partnering with something that's ultimately tearing us down. Now, we are a small church. And a lot of you, actually everyone that serves, like, does just a wonderful job. Show up on time. You work hard. You get it done. You think about it. Right? But imagine what happens if there's only one person working hard in a church or two people and everyone else doesn't care and they're lazy. The ministry does start to be destroyed from the inside out, right? I don't want to trust to take my kids in the back there because the teachers are on their phones the entire time. No one's watching the kids. The worship team didn't practice. Mike Young was hit. Every other chord was the wrong chord. Nobody cared. It just starts to destroy everything. And, and the team could be committed in praying, but nobody gives a rip about their job. You can imagine, you wouldn't want to go to a church like that, right? And so, again, if we take this outside of this building, that's why it's a witness. Like, if you are going to work and you're being lazy, you're destroying that organization. You've partnered in its downfall. And I know that sounds wild and it sounds extreme. But the Bible is extreme on these things. If you don't work, you don't eat. If you're lazy at work, you're really just trying to turn it down, right? And I would argue, it's like, if you just can't work for this organization, find a different job. Right, find something you can pour your heart into. Are we getting lots of text questions? Because man, no questions. You guys aren't going to push back on any of this. You're welcome to text a question. There's no say, service. Oh, there's no service. Yeah, we're working on the Wi-Fi. That might be why we're not getting a lot of questions. We'll have that fixed next week, by the way. Here's a the school redid all their Wi-Fi. You used to be able to get on the guest network in here, and you probably haven't been able to. So, don't everybody turn around. Don't look at Brian. It's not his fault. He's not the idea. Guy. <laughs> all right. La- okay. Last one. Rest. Rest. So we, t- we did all this talk about work. But Christians that are overworkers also are not setting the best example. Right? So we've talked about, I've hammered the lazy person, but let's talk about those that are overachievers, the go-getters, people that just can't stop and you're always doing something. Is the idea comes that the Bible, that God rests. And we should also have rest built in there. Mark 6, 31 says this, Then because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and let's get some rest. 
If you read the life of Jesus, he spent time resting. He spent time getting away from people. He'd go and pray and recharge himself. A Christian like that is working themselves to an early grave is that's a bad example too. It's a bad example internally, right? Uh, but it is it will destroy your life because it was, we were never designed to be a beast of burden. Actually, there's a scripture, I didn't put it down, I just remembered it. The Bible says that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. That life was meant to be enjoyed. That the things he blesses us with, our spouse to be enjoyed, our children to be enjoyed, our homes, our land, our, to be enjoyed, right? So, if you find yourself on the opposite end of the spectrum, I think most people fit into the lazy side, and you're the opposite side where you can't stop working, you're neglecting all these things, is you're, you're breaking a huge biblical pattern that shows up at the beginning of the Bible. That in Exodus uh, 20, it's not on the screen, verses 8 through 10, Exodus 20, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Mark 2.27 says this, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath. So God makes his day of rest for us. The rest is special. And that God set the pattern, right? That he, God, worked how many days? And he rested on the seventh. So does that mean that you have to work six? Some people will argue with this. I have to work six days, not five. Whatever society dictates. We, most of us here have a five-day work, right? But the point is you are getting a day of rest. Right? And it's not legalistic. Like Jesus was healing people. He said, hey, you can pull your donkey out of the pit. You can work in your garden. Right? But it's keeping it holy that you find a way to recharge. Whatever that looks like. I imagine Lee runs 35 miles. Okay, Lee's going to go take a break. And he's going to run down to Mexicali. <laughs> Marsha, you work in your garden. Maybe, maybe that's a great day of rest for you. Some of you go fishing. Some of you will watch movies. You paint. Read a book. I don't care. Do something you love to do. Do it with somebody you love. Find a way to recharge these things. Have people over. Play games. Be balanced in your life. Right? Because the more you work, to me, the less your heart is in the next day. If you're not getting rest, people that are overworked, their heart begins to leave their work. You're going through the motion. You can put out. You can put in the energy. But your heart's no longer. The Bible says, whatever you do, do it heartily. That means with all your heart. Amen? Amen. Last piece of free advice is learn, it's not even in my notes, but it's very important. Learn to shift your priorities. Some seasons you will have to work more. Some seasons you need to pay more attention to your family. Some seasons you need to look after a sick loved one. Some seasons it's helping your church. We have this idea that there's this fixed hierarchy, that there's God at the top, which is true. God should always be the But some people mistake that God and church is synonymous. They're not. Right? Because church is in that list. We have God. Number two should always be your spouse, I think. Right? That word. Right? My life has stopped for my spouse. I'll quit my job for my spouse. Right? My spouse needs me. Nothing holds a candle, right? I will not come to church if my wife needs me. Right? But now we have these things. We have our jobs. We have our kids. We have church. We have our soccer teams. We have all these things. We have to juggle them around. And I think they're meant to be moved. Because if I start a new job when I was in the military and I would get a new assignment, I'd tell my wife, hey, the first year in a new unit sucks because A, you're making your reputation. 
So I'm going to work really hard. And I always tell my wife, if I have a busy season coming up, I'm like, hey, for me, September is September and October are the busiest times of the year. So I tell her, I say, I'm going to be on the road a lot. And I ask her, like, what's your schedule like? Is there any weeks I need to be home to make sure that you're supported? And she told me I'm going to be at Disneyland these three days. That's literally what happened. No, okay. So I make sure I'm there to support her. Have a great husband. I'm humble. Uh, but here's my point, is I move these things around. And some season the church really needs me. For example, when Trace and Chris, they went over to Europe on vacation, they had all these things planned, and I had to be here because he wasn't going to be here. And we have, uh, like Doug and Angelita, we have you know, some older members that one might pass away soon. So Trace like, hey man, you're on watch here. If something happens, we need people here to be here. So church jumped in front of work, and I didn't travel for a couple of weeks so I could stay here because if the church needed an elder, Trace was overseas. You had me. Thank God nothing happened. Nobody ever needs me. Uh, but you get my point as I'm moving these priorities around. And so the Christian work life is don't think just because God says you do all these things doesn't mean things don't move in your life. You're going to have different seasons. And if you're retired, we didn't even talk about what that looks like. I'm sure you can wrestle through that. All right. Let's pray. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Uh, next week uh, is the last of the series. And then we're going to get it. If you want to read ahead, the book of Jonah. And we're gonna, that's the book we're going to get into. And don't watch the baby tale of Jonah. Not the same. Not the same. My wife's already broke. Yeah. And Jill's like, oh, come on, man. I was just going to watch the veggie tales. All right. Let's pray. And let's get ready to leave. Heavenly